Thank you for joining us here on the Bowling Green Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God, encourage our community, serve those in need, and share the good news of Jesus. You can find out more about how we do this on our website at BowlingGreenChristian.org. It is our prayer that the following message encourages you as you take your next step in faith. You think you own me, but you don't. You think you can destroy me, you can't. Your labels do not contain me. Your lies do not intimidate me. I will not be less than what I was created to be, and I will not run in fear. Time and time again, you've held me down, but not today. Today, I win the battle. Today, you run from me because I am strong. I am courageous. I am an overcomer. Remember that commercial? Those questions always bothered me, to be honest with you. How many licks does it take? But I'd never had the self-discipline to find out. I got to like seven and said this was too long. So I would bite into it just like the owl would. But luckily for us, there's some college students who have time on their hands. And so uh, they're from Purdue University, so they really have time on their hands. Sorry, Urbans, that's for you. Um, but they, they are engineering students, so they created this machine that simulated licks, which sounds as weird to say as it does to hear. And so they, they, they did that. They put a, a Tootsie Pop up there, and they found that it took an average of 364 licks to get the center of a Tootsie Pop. But they also participated in a study, all right, the, the people who were doing it, which leads to the question, why do you go through the trouble of making a machine to do it? And they, they came up with an average of 252 licks to get to the center. So no wonder no one knows it's because no one has the patience to wait that long to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. Wouldn't it be nice to know how long you have to wait to find what's inside of something? When I was growing up, there were a couple of book series that were famous. This was before the Harry Potter came out. And, and so it, there were two. One lasted a long time. One was a flash in the pan. We're going to see who uh, remembers them. Number, the first one was Goosebumps. You remember Goosebumps, right? I think those are still kind of around today. Jack Black's making movies about it. So there's that. There was another one that was pretty short-lived. Does anyone remember the Animorphs book series? Raise your hand if you knew that. All right. Good, because first service was me and Amanda, and then we felt like we were on an island. So there are seven of you here today who remember that. Here's what happened. The, the book series covered these teenagers who got these special powers to turn into animals, to fight aliens. You see why it didn't last long? And so they, they did that, but the aliens were, uh, you got to prepare yourself for this. These aliens were these little slug-like creatures who would crawl through your ear and would latch onto your brain, and they would control whatever uh, animal or person that they were. And so kind of the whole idea of the series was figuring out who was under the control of these aliens and who, who was not. It would be nice to know what was inside of someone. And the truth is, it would be great if we had like a 90-day warranty on people. 
It would just, let's just be honest, it would be great if we had a 90-day warranty on people. You're in a business and you go into a business relationship with somebody, it would be nice to know if you had a warranty so you could wait and figure out who they really were until you went all the way in this business relationship. Some of you guys are getting ready to go to college this year. You would love, and those who have been to college would have loved to have a warranty on their roommate right? Because you don't know sometimes what you're getting yourself into. And so it would be great if you could give that roommate back at a certain amount of time because you find out that he's going to like end up with both of you on dateline because he was crazy and murdered you. Like you would want to know all of these things, but that's not the way this works. We, we don't have this guarantee of knowing what's going on inside of someone, but there is a truth that we have to internalize and we have to accept. And that is eventually, even though there's not a set amount of time, eventually it comes out. Eventually, the true person, the true self, the th- whatever it is that is inside of a person, eventually comes out. We've been looking through, or not we, you guys, I'm, I'm gone, but you guys have been looking through the story of Esther over the past few weeks, and we have the benefit of a historical perspective on Esther. It's not a a work of fiction in which the author is trying to dangle us along and then have a big reveal at the end, and we can say, we never saw that coming. Like From the very beginning of the book of Esther, we know who we're rooting for, and we know who we're rooting against. Very quickly, we know. We're rooting for Mordecai. We're rooting for Esther. We know that. Very quickly, we know we're rooting against Haman. We're introduced to him, and it doesn't take very long for Haman to show his true colors. Right? And so we know he's the enemy. He's the one that we are going against. We, we know that he has these biases, that, we ha- that he has this evil intent. We know that he's full of hate. But the thing is that the people living at this time wouldn't have known. They wouldn't have known the true character of Haman. He, he kept it well hidden. They probably wouldn't even known Mordecai or Esther and their, their backstory or anything like that. They would just have seen what they saw and they would have to just run with it. After all, someone in power like that, you have to give respect to, right? And then everything changes. Everything changes, and, and Haman's, Esther steps up and pleads for God's people, and, and, and she exposes the wicked plans of Haman, and Haman is exposed to the world, and, and he ends up dying the same way that he was hoping to kill Mordecai. A, a new edict was formed. It was sent out and says that, that now the Jewish people, were, they weren't going to be killed. In fact, it was something completely opposite. The Jews were going to be safe. Before we get into the text today, which is Esther 9 and 10, and you can go ahead and turn there or click there, whichever one tickles your fancy, and you can go there. But here's the theme for the first eight chapters that we need to understand, and it's this. What is inside of a person eventually gets found out. Whatever is inside of a person eventually gets found out. We see Haman's life is completely for himself. He played maybe the humble servant before Xerxes, but we saw him boasting to his friends and his family. We see the anger that burned inside of him when Mordecai wouldn't show him the honor that he thought that he deserved. And until it was exposed, uh, Haman was, was golden. He was good to go. But when he was exposed, it, it brought the fact that he was a, a racist and he was an elitist and that he, he was prideful. Something ugly happened because who Haman was was exposed to the world. 
But there's a flip side to this too, because Mordecai and Esther are exposed too. What's inside of them is exposed. Wes mentioned a couple weeks ago, Esther is a unique book in the Bible it's in the fact that God's name's not mentioned in it. And yet God is there throughout it. He is present, and he's present in the actions and the bravery and the foundations that are so evident in Mordecai and Esther's life. He's evident in the providence that allows all of these things to fold and for Esther to be in such a position as this. We know that he's there because of the love of God's people that Mordecai has. And so when push comes to shove, their character is exposed as well but what was in them was love and humility and faith see when their character was exposed something beautiful happened and so today what we're going to look at basically what nine and ten are they're they're descriptions of the repercussions of someone's true self coming out in the open and it's going to teach us and warn us about what we fill ourselves with so if you're there, Esther chapter 9, verse 1. We're not going to be able to read all 9 and 10 today, but we're going to kind of fill in the blanks as we go. It says this. On the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. This is the date that reigns throughout the book of Esther. This was the date that Haman was going to get his revenge. This was the day in which the Jews were going to be eradicated from the kingdom of Xerxes because of his hate, because of his pride, and because of his bias. And yet, because Esther steps up, something changes. Everything flips on its head. Instead of the Jews being eradicated, now they're victorious. It continues, it says, The Jews assembled in their cities and all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them because the people of all of the other nationalities were afraid of them. And all the nobles of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the king administrators helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them. Mordecai was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces, and he became more and more powerful. So this day didn't really go how Haman had envisioned it in the first place. In fact, it's the complete opposite. The day that was supposed to be this attempted extermination of a race from the kingdom it turns into a great day, or actually multiple days, where the Jews have victory. And then on a personal level, this man who was supposed to be impaled on a pole, Mordecai, now sits in a place in which his name brings fear to people. And he is honored by the Jews and by Xerxes. The Jews have great success. They have great success. They, there are thousands of enemies who fall during these two days. But there's a very specific thing that I want to point out that happens, and it's in verses 8, 9, and 10. Now, Verses 8, 9, and 10, uh, we're not going to read them because they include names, and I'm not going to stumble over them, but they're there, okay? So there's 8, 9, and 10. There's 10 names, and the Bible tells us who these 10 people are, and those 10 people are the sons of Haman. And this brings us back to something that, is, that happened a couple chapters earlier in, in chapter 5. We see Haman come home, and he's probably inebriated, and he's really, really happy, and, and he... Um, he, he exposes his true character, really. In Esther chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, 
and all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and the officials. Haman comes home and he's so excited about himself. And, And here's the thing. All of those are gone now. I mean, he's dead, so there's no, he had a pretty humiliating end. And then his ten sons are dead. Everything that he boasted in is completely gone. What he cared about was power. What he cared about was prestige. And his jealous nature was revealed, and and everyone saw him for who he really was. And here's the application for us. We have to be really careful, and we have to watch what's inside of us, because others close to us will see it too. They'll see it. And there's a very important takeaway for us. And that's whatever is inside of you, whether it's hate or anger, selfishness, anything that ends in ism, so racism or sexism or elitism, it's going to come out. And when it comes out, there will be devastation. You see, when you have the wrong motives, it will eventually bring you disgrace. This is what happens to Haman. He's a footnote in the story of Esther. He's a footnote. He's the the antagonist who gets what he deserves. He thought he was high and mighty, and yet for all time, people will pick up the book of Esther, they will read it, and they will see the fool that he was. The world will remember that. And this has happened in society. If you want a social experiment, get on YouTube and and block out a little bit of time, go back and watch opening monologues or different things from Academy Awards from 5, 10, or 15 years ago. Look at the people who are there. Look at the people who they highlight. Look at the people that they praise. Look at the people who think that you would look at and like, wow, that person is the greatest person ever. And then read the news today. Watch the Academy Awards today. They're talked about again, but they're the butt of jokes because they're not there. You see, what happened was eventually their act grew sour. Eventually they were found out, and there were so many people who were womanizers or racists or rapists, or they were just plain corrupt, and they hid it, and they got away with it, but eventually it came out, and when it came out, their lives were completely ruined. And the truth is that if we fill our lives with things that are contrary to what Jesus wants us to be filled with, we may fool people, and listen, we may fool ourselves, but it will eventually be found out. And here's the thing, it's not just for you. And it's not just for me. Because what happens to Haman happens to us. See, when we have bad motives, we not only bring us disgrace, but we bring disgrace and devastation to those who love us. Guys, there are literally thousands of people who die because Haman was a jerk. Thousands of people died because he hated Jews. Ten of those were his sons. And you've got to think about the paradigm shift that's happened here. In a time and in a place in which your name carried weight, and they would forever be known as the sons of Haman. And Haman has this great place of prestige. They weren't going to have to buy anything or pay anything for the rest of their lives. They were going to be seen as nobles because they were attached to Haman. And yet when his kingdom basically falls, theirs does as well. Because of their father's actions, they're crippled. 
Because of their father's actions, they are completely wiped out. And they die at the hands of the people that their father hated. And so when we don't take care of our motivations and our beliefs and our attitudes, then when that comes out in the open, those who surround us are going to be adversely affected. And the truth is that they may never recover from it. I'm reading a book today, or not today, I slept today, but the rest of the time I'm reading a book, and, and it's Wright Thompson, he's a sports writer, and he, he just collects some stories of interest. He goes a little bit deeper than like the Red Sox one, but five to three. Like it's, it's personal interest stories. And one of the stories is about Ted Williams. How many of you know who Ted Williams is? Okay, it's, it's, it's really a bunch of older people. Um, but um, Ted Williams, it, let's just say the public persona of Ted Williams. Greatest hitter who ever lived. Last one to bat 400 in the season. Greatest hitter who ever lived. He, he took a break in the middle of his playing career to go fight a war. And then he came back. So he's an American hero, a war hero. And he is the greatest hitter of all time. And this is the persona that gets passed on all over the place. Wright Thompson did a story where he interviewed his kids. And what we find is that when Ted Williams grew up, his mother neglected him. His mother was hard on him. He didn't have a father figure. And Ted Williams was so crippled to not become his mother that any time he had a kid, and by the way, it was by accident, any time he had a kid because he didn't want any, he kept them at arm's length at best or completely degraded them at worst. He would call them names. He would cuss them up and down. He would not take them on trips and yet, if they failed, the first person to be critical of them was him. In fact, at his death, he only reconciled, and even then, that's a loose term, reconciled with two of his kids. And what you see his kids go through are, are a series of, of substance abuse problems. Uh, you see his kids who, uh, who deal with, with mental illness that are just directly attributed to how their father mistreated them, the lack of affection that they had and the system of worthlessness that they had. But here's the thing. Because their dad was a hero, they would have to show up whenever he was honored. They would have to throw out the first pitch at a game that he was being honored at, and they would have to smile and act like everything was okay. And when you read the story, you see just how terrible their life has been because this person who everybody else praised was not who he seemed to be. And the unfortunate truth is, I didn't have to use him as an example because there are so many of us who have lived it. There are so many of us who have lived this. Someone made a poor decision. Someone's true self came out in the worst possible time. And they were exposed for their beliefs or their prejudice or whatever it is. And you've had to live with that your entire life. Some of us are looked at and said, you're just going to continue in this cycle of the decisions that were made before you ever got here. Others of you have felt this public shame of a family member who made these decisions that are so terrible. And we have to watch what's inside of us because those who are closest to us will be affected by how we live our lives. They will be effective or affected when whatever is inside of us comes out of us. They'll be affected. And listen, I... Nine years or 11 years in youth ministry, it doesn't die overnight. And so I want to take a special point here. You know who the people 
who find you out the soonest are your kids. Because they are around you, and it's extremely difficult to hide from them who you really are, what you really believe, and what's really inside of you. They will pick up on your prejudice. They will pick up on your politics. They will pick up on how you see others and talk about others. They will gain a sense of what's right and wrong. And let's just be honest, let's, let's, what is allowed and what is not allowed by watching your life, what you say, and what you do. And so if we don't watch ourselves, we will subject them to a potential of a life thinking the same thoughts and hiding the same sins and the same struggles that we have. And so when we harbor these emotions, these thoughts, and these desires that are, that are evil, really, inside of us, we set up those around us for failure. Entire families and entire towns and entire governments have been destroyed because the true self of a leader or a, a, a father or a son or a mother came to the forefront. And in the story of Esther, we see thousands of people lose their lives because the prejudice and the hate of one man. And the truth is that still happens today. But there's good news here. I didn't come all the way from Ohio to rain on your parade. Like, there's good news here. You can be filled with good stuff, too. You can be filled with stuff that isn't deteriorating inside of you. You can be filled with stuff that when it comes out, people aren't scandalized by it. There's a possibility. In fact, we see the evidence of this in the lives of Mordecai and the lives of Esther. Skip down to verses 20 through 22. It says, Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and the 15th days of the month of Adar, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month where their sorrow was turned to joy, and the mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as the days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food and one, to one another and gifts to the poor. So when Haman's true self comes out, his actions get him and his family, along with thousands of other people, killed. When the true selves of Mordecai and Esther come out, they set into motion not only salvation of the Jews in that point to not be killed, but something that lasts today. Today, all across the world, the Jews celebrate Purim. It's family reads the, families read the book of Esther, and whenever the name of Haman is mentioned, they stomp their feet and they boo and they hiss because they know he's the bad guy, and they celebrate the deliverance that happens. They party. Uh, some people call it the Jewish Mardi Gras. They send out gifts of food and drinks. They make gifts to charity. They, they hold carnival-like celebrations. They celebrate deliverance. Here we are, thousands of years later, and the true self of Mordecai and Esther coming out into the open leads to celebration. And here's the thing. When you are who Jesus calls you to be, when you exhibit the love that he calls you to exhibit, then your legacy is one that people remember. Your actions are noted by onlookers. It piques curiosity of people who are seeking, and they want to know why that in, selfish, or in, in stressful situations, in your successes and in your failures, you still remain true to the faith that you claim. It brings honor to those who are closest to you. It brings pride, the right type of pride. In fact, this is how the book of Esther ends. 
It says, King Xerxes imposed a tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores, and all his acts of power and might, together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are they not written in the books and the annals of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of the Jews. We're going to leave this on the screen for a second. That guy was supposed to be impaled on a 50-foot pole. His entire race was supposed to be wiped out. And yet, when what was inside of him and what was inside of Esther comes out, and the faithfulness that they had to God and the character that they possessed came out, look how different his life is. He has taken the place of his enemy. He is in a place where we remember him even today. But there's something we have to understand. This didn't happen overnight. Esther didn't wake up and be like, yep, today's the day I change everything that I've been doing and do the right thing. Now, I kind of want to cap off this series with this, with this thought. Being an overcomer starts with what's on the inside. See, all of us would like to volunteer and say, yeah, we would be, we, when that time comes, I will step up. I will make sure I do what is right. I'm going to make sure everything is great. I, I, I would, I'm going to be the one who stands up in the face of hate and bigotry. I'm going to be the one who stands up for faith when it's under persecution. I'm going to be the one who ends this family cycle that I, I'm, everyone thinks that I'm stuck in. I'm going to be the one who does this. And yet, if you're not prepared for it, I, I I hate to tell you, you're not going to do it. It starts with what's on the inside. It starts with your heart. It starts with having the right source that gives you the right fuel, that gives you the right motivation, so that whatever you face, when your true self shows up, it's something that brings something that's beautiful instead of something that's destructive. The New Testament puts it this way. Paul writes in in the book of Philippians, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says that this is how you're called to live. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident. Don't be anxious. Now here's the thing. If you woke up today and you decided, I'm not going to be anxious about anything ever again, and you had no prior experience, you're going to start worrying. Why? Because you weren't prepared for it. Paul says, this is how you're supposed to live your life. This is what's going to happen. The peace of God which transcends all understanding. It guards your hearts and your mind. So that's what's inside of you. How does this, how is this possible? Well, he says in verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, do you know how to make sure the inside's right? You make sure that what's around you is these things. 
because you're going to ingest whatever you're swimming in. Whatever's around you will go inside of you. And so Paul says these are the things you have to make sure are around you. Tim Keller in his book on prayer says this, to discover the real you, look at what you spend your time thinking about when no one is looking, when nothing is forcing you to think about anything in particular. Whatever that is, that's what's inside. That's what rears its ugly head. And so we have to filter what's around us so that we can be better suited to have what's inside of us be something that is uplifting and something that it, it makes an impact. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a few things. Some of you all got to get off Facebook. You do. Because when you're alone and by yourself, you're angry and you're mad and you don't know why. It's because you just spent three hours looking at people who are angry and mad and they don't know why. Listen, some of you need to turn off the news. I know that you, we want to be informed, but your version of the news is filling you with hate. Some of you need to make sure that you're watching and listening to the right thing. And I'll even say this, and this entire section is going to hate me, but you got to make sure that what your kids are swimming in is good stuff. They're not, they're not seeing social media raise them and tell them who they need to be, what they need to look like, how they need to treat people. You make sure that the shows that they're watching aren't telling them lies, but building them in truth. If we genuinely care about the next generation, we're not going to let them swim with sharks. See, we have to filter what's out there. What's around us? Is it true? Not, 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 not is, it, is it okay by me, but, but is it legitimately true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? This last phrase that I, I, I highlight here, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. In other words, would you watch it, would you listen to it in church? If the answer is no, then you probably don't need to be doing it outside of church either. Why? Because there's going to be a day when the real you shows up. And the repercussions of that, your actions and your words on that day could last for a lifetime. And so some of us need to start spending some time with people who don't look like us or vote like us. And all of us need to start reading what Jesus says about who we are and how we're supposed to love people. We need to make sure that we're filling ourselves with the right thing. The very first week of this series, Weston talked about Esther being a subversive. And, and he said "There's a, the greatest subversive of all time was Jesus. And I couldn't agree more because Jesus came into a time in which it wasn't about grace and it wasn't about mercy. It was about how good you could be and what you could do and really what your name was. And, and there was just a limit to how far you could get with God. And then Jesus shows up and says, actually, actually, there's, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. And then Jesus came in and he 
He, he came into a world where death was the option. It was the end result, and he came in and said, actually, I'll take that death so that you can have the life I always wanted for you. And the beautiful thing is here today, you have a decision to make, and it's a, it's a, it's a choice that you have. Jesus wants nothing more than to come and kick out everything that's inside of you that's not of him. He wants to come in and he wants to kick out the, the, the prejudice that you have inside towards a group of people. He wants to come in and kick out the anger that you have and that you've harbored and maybe even that has been the source of your identity. He wants to come in and get rid of the lies that Satan has poured into you. He wants to get rid of all of this stuff because he knows that he has something that can fill you, that prepares you for any situation. Paul says in Romans 15, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God has sent Jesus to die on a cross, so there's nothing too messy in your life that he can't clean up. No matter how long it's been inside of you, Jesus is bigger and better and greater than it. And he wants to get rid of it because he wants you to be his light to this world. And so as we sing this last song, you have a decision to make. You can keep filling yourself with bad things and things that take away from who God created you to be. Or, or Jesus can fill you with his spirit, a spirit that is not timid and that goes with you wherever you go and equips you for every good work. You have that choice because what's inside of you is your choice. Thanks for listening. When you're ready to take the next step on your faith journey, visit our website at BowlingGreenChristian.org and find more information about service times and other programming for both adults and children. Thank you again and have a blessed day.